Well, this morning our text is Matthew 26. We're going to be looking at verses 36 through 46. If you're a kid, you may go to your class. Everyone else, go ahead and turn there if you have your Bible with you. Matthew 26, beginning with verse 36. Now, these are the last hours of Jesus' life on earth. We've gone through this gospel account of Matthew verse by verse over the last couple of years, seeing the life of Jesus, how he loved the marginalized, how he accepted the outcast, how he embraced the foreigner, how he cared for the sick, how he healed the broken, how he welcomed those who had been abused, how he taught the truth of the kingdom of God. And now he is the one who will become an outcast. He will be abused. He will soon be arrested and he will die a horrible death. But it will be the most important death in the history of mankind. In the text today, we see him preparing for what is to come. And so, if you're able, stand and follow along with me as I read, beginning with verse 36 of Matthew 26. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We thank you. Thank you for your word, that you would be gracious enough to reveal yourself to us through your word. We praise you. We ask that you do it again today. Show us who you are and help us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Verse 36, Jesus went with the disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Now that word Gethsemane means oil press or olive press. And so this was an olive orchard possibly owned by a wealthy uh, person who allowed Jesus to use it. 
In John uh, chapter 18, verse 2, it says that Judas knew of this place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So it's likely a common place that they would gather or a common place that they would go away to from the crowds to seek solace among themselves. We want to remember at this point, Judas is not with them. He will come shortly with his betrayal of Jesus, with those who will arrest him, but he's not there now. So there's 11 disciples and Jesus, and Jesus asks eight of those disciples to wait at the entrance of the garden while he and the three others go in. Verse 37, and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. So Jesus takes with him Peter, James, and John into the garden. And it is here in the garden that we see the depth of Jesus' emotion. It's not that we haven't seen emotion before. We know that he wept. He know, we know that he, his heart was troubled at times. But this is the, the deepest we will see of that. It says that he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And we should pause here and remind ourselves of who Jesus is. Who is this that is troubled and sorrowful in this garden? Jesus, the Bible teaches us, is God in the flesh. He is God with us, Emmanuel. The Bible teaches us that the Son of God came to this earth, was born of a virgin, and and this is important, was fully God and fully man. God in the flesh. His name was Jesus. And it had to be that way. Only God could atone for the sins of mankind. Only God could do that. Only God could bear the weight of God's wrath for our sins. We could never, ever bear that. But also it needed to be a representative of man, of those who do sin. And it had to be a perfect sacrifice, one who had never sinned. And Jesus is all of those things, fully God, fully man, never sinned, never did a single thing wrong. And now this person, God in the flesh, is in the garden as the God-man, and he knows what his destiny is. He knows what is coming. He knows that they are coming to arrest him now. And he knows that this is his purpose for which he came to the earth, and yet he still feels human emotion, and now dread overwhelms him in the garden. Verses 39 and 40, or excuse me, beginning with verse 38. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, Jesus prepares for this great and awful purpose by praying and asking his closest friends to watch and pray with him in his hour of sorrow and preparation. None of us can comprehend what Jesus is going through 
internally. Jesus is in deep sorrow and deep distress. He is feeling the weight of what is about to take place, what's going to happen to him. He grieves, it says, even to death. And that's not at all meaning that he would rather die. No, it means that his sorrow is that great that he could die from grief or from sorrow or from anxiety. It is that intense. And just to be clear, it isn't the thought of death itself that is bringing such sorrow and distress. It's more than that. It's deeper than that. And he cries out to the Father, God the Father. He says he literally fell on his face, a posture of humility, reflecting his deep sorrow, his deep need. He falls on his face and cries out to his Father. Praise my Father, if it be possible. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. This is the Son of God, God in the flesh, crying out to God the Father. I mentioned that it isn't death that brings such sorrow and distress to Jesus we see what Jesus' great concern is here. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, what cup is he asking would pass from him? It seems here that Jesus, our hero, seems frightened and uncertain. So what is bringing this? Because many people throughout the ages have died as martyrs without tears or without pleading. And so what is it that is causing this in the Son of God? And the answer is the cup. It's the cup. None have died a martyr by receiving this cup. Only Jesus receives the cup that he's referring to in this prayer. And this cup is the cup of suffering due to God's wrath. God's wrath will be poured out on Jesus on the cross for the sins that He has never, ever committed. The sins of others. The sins of those who would look on Him one day and say, I believe and I trust you. And he goes to the cross to take the punishment for sin so that by grace alone man can be saved. Yes, as a human, Jesus trembles at the prospect of dying in physical agony, but that doesn't compare to his trembling at receiving the cup of God's wrath for my sin and for your sin. The cup explains Jesus' fear. Jesus is sinless. That's another thing we can't comprehend. He never did a single thing wrong. He never had a thought that was impure. 
He never had an agenda that was selfish. He wasn't prideful. He never, ever sinned. He was holy. And therefore, he detests sin. And yet, during the crucifixion, he bears it. He wears it and is punished for it. It's something we can't even comprehend. The fact that Jesus is praying this demonstrates that he's aware of the scandalous nature of his death. And you notice his heart in praying, sorrowful and yet submissive, grieving and yet still going. If it's possible that this cup should pass, let it be, yet not my will, but yours. Not my will, Father, but your will be done. It's the posture that we are to take before God. Jesus says earlier in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 6, Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Your will be done. It is the posture of our Lord Jesus before the Father. Your will be done. Continues in verse 40. He came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Jesus arises from his prayer agonizing over the thought of what is to come in deep sorrow and grief, and he finds the disciples asleep. Now, sleep can be normal. It can even be a blessed gift. Psalm 127, verse 2, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for... He gives to his beloved sleep. So sleep can be a gift. It can be a blessing. But it can also be a sign of sloth. Proverbs 6, 11, 10 and 11. It's a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want, and want like an armed man. Here in the text, it seems to be a mixture of exhaustion and spiritual weakness. Now listen, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I was a bad roommate in college, in particular my junior year of college. My roommate, who was my best friend at the time, my junior year, would often want to talk about serious stuff at night after we both laid down in our separate beds. But, like, 
once I laid down, I, it was on purpose. Like I had a plan. And it's dark. So I fell asleep. That year I fell asleep while he was telling me that his family dog had died. It was a long time ago, okay? I fell asleep while he was telling me about the breakup with the girl he thought he was going to marry, stuff like that. So, it's not good. I was genuinely tired, and to be fair, his voice was way too soft for that time of day. Like, it just, like a lullaby, like crazy soft. But I wasn't loving. I wasn't loving in those moments. I didn't consider him more significant than myself. If I had, if I loved him as I love myself, I would have made adjustments. I would have sat up in my bed. I would have stood up and walked around to be engaged in the conversation if I needed to out of love for what was happening in this brother's life. Whatever it took in his moment of need, I would have done that if I loved him, if I counted him as more significant than myself. Here in the text, the disciples show weakness spiritually. They've been asked to be vigilant in prayer, but they sleep. Could you not watch with me one hour? Notice, one hour. Jesus has prayed for an hour. So the statement that we have, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That's, that's likely a summarization of an hour of praying. It's something he said, but also summarizing the heart of his time in prayer with his father. It continues, Jesus says, watch and pray, verse 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. It seems here that as Jesus tells them to pray again, the purpose shifts. Before it was prayer for him. But they've shown they need prayer for themselves. They must pray lest they enter into temptation. One commentator translates his statement as, keep alert and be saying your prayers so that you will not go headlong into temptation. Keep being vigilant. Keep praying. We ought to learn from this. We must learn from this. Are we more apt to sleep or to pray when others are hurting or grieving? Are we more apt to sleep or to pray concerning our own trials, known or yet to come? The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Prayer is so important because although our spirit may be eager or willing to do the work of the Lord, to please Him, to live in a way that honors Him, we're prone to wander in our heart, in our mind, and in our actions. Verse 42, again for the second time, He went away and prayed, My Father, 
If this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Jesus goes again and he prays similarly. He restates his earlier prayer, but with a bit of a shift. He knows his Father's will. He knows the Father's will. Jesus says elsewhere in the Gospel of John, I and the Father are one. He knows his Father's will. So now instead of the positive, if it is possible, he prays, if it is not possible. Jesus knows that he must drink the cup of suffering. He alone. And his only request in this prayer, your will be done. Jesus Christ drinks the cup to see his Father's will accomplished. That all might know him through the sacrifice of Jesus alone. Verse 43, And again he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy, returns, finds them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. Now, we've been there, right? We all, I mean, if there's a verse in here that we can all say, okay, I get it. We've all been there where our eyes are just heavy. There have been times where I want very, very much to stay awake, to be vigilant, but my body will not. There are also times where my soul and mind are so consumed with anxiety or stress or grief or something else and I cannot force myself to sleep. Where is faith in all of this? The disciples chose to sit down or lay down, whatever their posture is when he finds them, they chose that. At some point, they're like, I'm not standing anymore. They chose to get into that posture. And maybe they do the same thing that I do. Maybe it was, uh, I'll, I'll stay awake. I just need to rest my feet, need to rest my legs. I'll stay awake. And then just drift it off. But, it, but they made that decision, right? That Jesus didn't find them standing asleep. So they made the choice to sit or to lay down, or whatever it was. Though their spirit was certainly willing, they didn't want to fail Jesus. These disciples don't want to fail Jesus. They don't believe they're going to fail Jesus. They didn't want to be spiritually weak, but their flesh is weak. Just as our flesh is weak, Verse 44, so leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Jesus doesn't say anything to them. He goes back and he prays again, saying the same words. Isn't that good for us to see? Jesus said the same words again. Jesus, the one who came and calmed the storms, The one who spoke and winds and waves ceased. He went back 
to pray the same words again. So often, too often, I can tend to pray and then it's like one time is enough. Now don't misunderstand here. God doesn't need you or me to keep coming back to twist his arm and convince him. No, it's, it's an evidence of faith. Prayer is an evidence of faith. We really believe, and so we ask. We seek Him. We seek His will because we believe. We pray because we believe. Verses 45 and 46, Then He came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Now, we'll get into that scene next week. Jesus returns and wakes them and tells them that it is time. He will be delivered over to be killed, just as he told them he would. What a Savior. I want us to consider or meditate on a few things before we move into taking the Lord's Supper together. The truth is, brothers and sisters, we all grow weary. We all grow weary. We all grow faint. All of us do. You're not sitting in the midst of a people who are super Christians and you're the only one that gets tired and grows weary. You're not. We all do. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The disciples represent us in the text. We aren't as spiritually vigilant as we want to be. I think we all would say that. No matter where you are in your journey with God, no matter where you are in faith, I think all of us would say we're not as vigilant as we want to be. The Spirit is willing. My flesh is weak. That's the story of mankind. We cannot stay alert enough to be deserving of heaven. We can't be faithful enough to ever deserve eternal life with God. We cannot be. We can't do enough to be perfect so that we are like God and deserve to be with God. We needed something to happen to us and for us. We'll never be. We can ever, ever deserve it. But Jesus' prayer is informative here. As the disciples are sleeping, Jesus is standing in their place and in our place. It is why he came to earth. God took on flesh to identify with sleepy, faint-hearted, unfaithful sinners. There's no other way. It was not possible for salvation to come any other way than through Christ coming and taking the cup of God's wrath for our sins. That is the gospel. That is the good news. 
2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul writes, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, what does that mean? He's saying this, for our sake, for us. God loved us so much that God the Father made him, Jesus, to be sin, to become sin on the cross, to receive the punishment as if he lived the way that you and I live so that because of his sacrifice and taking God's wrath upon himself instead of pouring it out on us so that just as Jesus was treated as if he lived like us, if we trust in him, he will treat us as if we lived like Jesus. That we are perfect and holy and righteous, even though we know we're not. That's the gospel. God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus came and took our place. He identified himself with sinners out of love. God loved the world so much that he gave Jesus, his only son, so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. You consider this text. This text happens a few hours after Jesus has passed a cup around to the disciples, to share with the disciples. It's a cup that represents his blood that will be poured out. That's what we remember each and every time we take the bread and the cup here. And although the cup that he prays about in the garden cannot be passed, the cup of God's wrath cannot be shared, only Jesus can drink of that cup. He gives us, he shares with us a cup to remind us of the other. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul speaking of a writing of the Lord's Supper. Says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus gives us this reminder, this symbol. It symbolizes, the bread symbolizing his body that is broken on the cross, the cup symbolizing his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And he says, remember, remember the cup that I drank, the cup of God's wrath that I drank for you so that you could partake of me. In just a minute, you'll be dismissed by Rose to come and, and take a piece of a cracker and a cup. And to go back to your seats.
Victoria will come after we sing to lead us through taking. But I want to encourage you. This act is a reminder. It's a looking back and a looking forward. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, my encouragement with you is don't, don't just partake of a cracker and juice. Partake of Jesus. He offers himself to you. Come to him. Trust in him. Cry out to him. As we hold the bread and the cup today, let's remember with joy that our king took the cup, took the cup we could never take so that we can take this cup forgiven and with great joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace, grace that we cannot even describe or comprehend. And yet we delight in it. We're desperate for it. We're desperate for grace, Lord. Because we know, we know that, that your words here are true. That our spirit is willing, but our flesh is very weak. That we're prone to wander. We're not as vigilant as we desire to be. We wish we were. And so we praise you, God, that you sent an ambassador for us. Someone to mediate between you and us someone to make a way to be what we could never be and to offer to us life that we could never earn. We praise you and we thank you. We ask that you'd help us to remember with joy. In Christ's name, amen.